Welcome to the VMware Multi-Cloud Podcast. My name is Eric Nilsson, and on the show today, we're going to be talking about DevOps and VMware Cloud Management. David Jasso, my co-host is here. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Eric. Hey, and everybody we have with us, uh, we're fortunate to have with us today, uh, Mandy Storbachen. Mandy is the Senior Technical Manager leading Emerging Business Solutions Architects, so she's, uh, she's out in our field, uh, and she's part of a Cloud Management Center of Excellence team. Uh, Mandy's going to be uh, telling us about, uh, uh, we're going to be talking about DevOps and then also talking about how that maps uh, directly to some of the offerings we have in cloud management. But uh, before we get there, uh, I'd like to ask Mandy just to introduce herself and tell us about what she's doing now and what she's done, some of the other roles that she's had in her career as well. Thank you, Mandy. Yeah, no problem. Hi, everybody. Uh, excited to be here. Um, as David said, I'm Mandy Storbacken. I have literally just moved or I'm in the process of moving into this new role back in the field um, in our Cloud Center of Excellence, um, leading the solutions architects, as David mentioned. Uh, prior to that, uh, you know, today or maybe last week, uh, I was a cloud technologist evangelist in the cloud management business unit for a couple of years. Um, Prior to that, I was a cloud management specialist SE in the field, so selling cloud management solutions as the systems uh, engineer to our customers. Prior to that, I was um, actually a customer myself, so I implemented uh, private and hybrid cloud solutions at a couple of rather large medical device companies. Um, uh, and then uh, before that, I was still working in uh, enterprises across Unix um, and virtualization and automation and cloud. So I've done a little bit of everything in IT, uh, and I'm excited to be moving into this new role, literally starting now. Um, so. I'm happy to be here to, to share some of my experiences and my perspectives with David and Eric and all of you as well. Hey, cool. Hey, and uh, you uh, remember uh, you talking about the fact that uh, you started as a Unix admin, I think, in some of the yes. early roles. Mm -hmm. And it reminds me that this this month, and it's actually a specific day, but we're, we're, we've made it into a month, is uh, Sysadmin month. Yeah. So we're celebrating that. So, uh, mm -hmm. you know, shout out to all the Sysadmins and especially to all the... Um, virtual admins um, that are out there. Hey, um, Mandy, uh, you and I go back a long time. We've I th we met years ago when I was part of a cloud management business unit. But, uh, you know, you've done a lot of writing on DevOps. In fact, you know, I've been at some DevOps days with you and I know mm -hmm. it's been an interest for a long time. Maybe you could talk a little bit about sort of how you came um, to have an interest in the DevOps space. Yeah, so I actually wrote a, one of my blog posts actually talks to this too, that I know that we're probably going to link to some of them. So one of them specifically talks about DevOps days. And um, so I there was a DevOps days locally, I don't remember, 2016, something like that. And uh, I went, you know, I go to, if there are local conferences, I'll, I'll go, um, you know, I travel a lot as well. And I, I do like to stay in town for things. And I was just really taken aback by the culture and the enthusiasm um, of the of the movement and the people that were involved. And um, one thing that I've noticed through going to many of these DevOps days conferences across the country now is that each market has a different makeup of attendees um, at, at uh, some of these conferences. But the one in Minneapolis, which was one of the larger ones, did have a lot of sysadmins and, um, and uh, developers and, and uh, programmers as well. And I think coming from the sysadmin side of things, we tended to be a little bit, at least back then, intimidated by some of these concepts and um, 
and believed it to be more a space of just pure software developers or programmers. And uh, what going to this DevOps Days um, uh, conference showed me was that not only is this a movement where we are collaborating across DevOps, as is in the name, to try and improve improve things, but also it's a very open, welcoming community, um, very considerate of different people's needs. There was accommodations made for mothers um, that were nursing and and um, you know wheelchair access to things, and uh, speakers across every kind of different level of experience, completely new to um, to the field, um, to those that had been working for a lot longer, and I. I've, I just felt that it was so welcoming and enthusiastic and um, growing, emerging, that I, I just I fell in love with it and just wanted to know more and wanted to be a part of it, really. Yep, I love, I love DevOps Days. I, um, <laughs> besides the um, all the uh, content that's like very specific DevOps, they also have usually a set of a very eclectic stuff that is just, right. you know, interesting in its own right. and has some you know tangentially related to DevOps, but it's just fascinating. So I really enjoyed the DevOps. Yeah, things. not your typical tech conference. And as you already mentioned, I was a Unix sysadmin for many years. And so, you know, I've been to many, many tech conferences starting with um starting uh with various different Unix ones up to you know two decades ago. And um yeah, completely different experience. So um I'm a big fan of of the movement. Hey, we're going to we want to talk a little bit about and then we're going to get into a focus uh, about cloud management and VMware specifically. But, um, you know, you've you've got a, a you know long history, a lot of expertise in the area of cloud management. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that also involves IT ops, kind of traditional IT ops. You've seen that. Maybe you can talk about, um, you know, how is uh, IT ops as you know, a lot of people would understand it different from what DevOps is, because I think there is, you know, often a lot of confusion around how those things are you know, the same and different. Yeah, and there's a lot of ops these days too. One of the other things that I blog on, as you know, David, is around this concept of a cloud operating model. And, um, you know, DevOps was uh, uh, a name that um, not only makes sense because we are collaborating with, you know, development teams and and uh, operations moving, you know, the both pieces into the software development lifecycle and just working much more closely together but it also had a great name that had a zing to it so devops yeah sounds great we love it i'm going to use it and then since then of course we've gone a little nuts in that space we have ai ops we have DevSecOps, we have just SecOps, we you know cloud ops we have all mm -hmm. kinds of ops and at the end of the day it's all i you know i think different companies call we call these teams different things, um, but operations is essentially operating the application from the time that it goes into production and through maintenance until it's you know uh, retired, um, and that's IT IT ops traditional IT ops the infrastructure teams the infrastructure silos you know network uh, compute um, uh, storage um, and uh, you know even middleware teams and some of those kinds of things and then you know dev is the application development and writing the updates and releasing the updates. Um, and so um, so IT ops is is more the traditional way of doing things. And then we we talk about a cloud operating model as being a way of changing the way that you do operations, not just people process, but also technology around um, being much more efficient around your your use of cloud technologies and just newer technologies in general. And then DevOps, I think, is 
very closely related, but it's really um, around the application space. So it starts and ends with the application. Um, the application is, the, is at the center of the DevOps um, lifecycle, uh, and it's just making all of those pieces uh, far less disjointed and making the operations uh, phases and, and roles a, part, a true part of the application lifecycle and not just something that's bolted on um, at, at the far end. Um, so uh, that's a little bit long-winded, but there's lots of something ops out there. And I think they're all connected um, and they're all looking to do similar things, but that's that's how I look at those yeah. different things. So Mandy, it's it's interesting. I've I've watched this kind of mature for the last five or seven years as well. And when I first got into it from an IT perspective, because I definitely am IT perspective, I was an admin, yeah. uh, Linux admin, Sun Microsystems admin, that whole thing. I looked at DevOps as this way that I was going to have to learn developer practices, right, to right. more integrate with developer because I was looking at it from an IT perspective and mm -hmm. you know trying to figure out how the modern developer is actually deploying into clouds, whether it be Amazon or other ones. Um, but then you talk to developers, they're actually looking at it from a standpoint, I think they looked at a standpoint at the beginning, just how do I get deployed into a cloud? But now as it's maturing, it, it becomes how do I actually control the operations of, of complex environments? And they're kind of meeting in the middle. I find like the ops, whether it's dev or IT, it's kind of like it's the same topic. It's just which perspective you're actually looking from, from the developer or from the IT. But there's this sweet spot in the middle where we're just trying to make the applications work. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, originally I, I felt the same way coming from the sys admin uh, side of the house. We had done things with scripts and, you know, scripting repeatable tasks and, you know, could uh, could script our way out of a, a paper bag. But we didn't have the software development um, background or discipline to really write scalable, you know, supportable um, code to do things. And I think we were all a little bit intimidated by that. And right. at the same time, you know, sysadmins, uh, sorry, uh, developers oftentimes said, I'm not really interested in infrastructure. I, I don't I don't want that to be part of my role um, my, you know I like writing features and functionality and so there was a lot of you know for, for a long time it was kind of looked at as very black and white in that you're either one or the other or you're going to be doing both the DevOps person right. writes the application and supports the application mm. and actually it's much more of a continuum and um, just making sure that folks are of working much more closely together, um, but also, um, you know, not everybody doesn't have to do everything to do with the life cycle. It's great that if you are, are, are a little broader and you understand the different pieces of the life cycle, but it doesn't mean that somebody that was traditionally a, dev, a development person is now going to be, you know, swapping out hard drives. It, it, it doesn't necessarily go that way. And there's um, one of my cloud operating model blog posts or DevOps ones, and I can't quite remember, is on this concept of shift left. And so that to me um, is, is something that um, understanding how that worked made it a lot clearer where organizations are taking this. Because there's, of course, the theory that comes out early. This is what we think we should do, and this is what, we, what, what works in a very small subset of organizations that have attempted to, to do this. And then there's how it works in practice across the enterprise. And so shift left to me when uh, talking to early customers, especially on the sysadmin side or the security side, would say, well, we don't want to shift security functions into the hands of the developers because the subject expert 
expert matter is here or the subject expertise is here. Um, and, you know, it's not that we don't trust them, but that that it's not really their bag. It's not that we don't trust them, but and we so, don't trust um, them. Yeah, well, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, fine. Um, and so, so, so one of the things about shift left for, for me is that, no, you don't have to... You don't, you're not handing over responsibility. You can take processes that were typically bolt on after the application had gone live and move them earlier in the process through providing those capabilities in, in an automated, safe way to the developer to incorporate into the lifecycle earlier, where you can catch issues earlier, where they're cheaper to resolve and um, easier to resolve and all, all those kinds of things. So it's not an all on or nothing. It's more um, taking the best practices from both sides and, and making a better approach uh, to, to software lifecycle management. Yeah, I love the saying shift left because I think it really is sort of the, the sort of um, contrary to sort of that an older saying which was you know they people would throw throw things over the wall right so it's yeah. like you know development would happen and then you'd throw it over the wall to it ops and they would take it over and so this concept mm -hmm. of shift left says that's that's not the model you take the operations and you embed them as part of the development process right. so there is no wall anymore right mm -hmm. and, you know and I, you've written about this sort of the some of the characteristics of that is that you just have much have high, much higher collaboration between teams and and mm -hmm. also much higher empowerment you know those teams are now empowered to do whatever is necessary to build the best application but also one that will run the best as well right and, absolutely uh, but not yeah. but without you know um the traditional operations teams kind of washing their hands of it yeah. and saying this is your problem now that's right. not shift left yeah exactly so mm -hmm. i think that's that's great hey um one of the things you've also written about is this idea of like what are some of the best practices around impact of devops and there's um you know, there's, you know, it's kind of because it's not easy to measure, right? How do, what, how do you think about like, you know, we're doing DevOps, but how do we know it's working? And, you know, what's, you know, what should we be measuring? Maybe you could talk a little bit about sort of like, you know, how people should be thinking about measuring the impact of DevOps. And then uh, we'll transition to uh, thinking about what does it mean in practical terms around cloud management? Yeah, so um, in, in, you know, kind of the, in the, in the most pure sense, of DevOps, it's really, I mean, of course, it's the application lifecycle. And so one of the really best books out there, which David, I know you and I've talked about already, on, um, to me, on, on on DevOps, just in general that I've read, because I'm, I, you know, I love to read about uh, theory, but really, I'd like to see in practice, how did this actually work, is um, the book Accelerate by um, Nicole Forsgren and, and uh, some other uh, researchers who looked at um, what are the metrics that, well, first of all, they, they wrote about how they did the research behind their state of DevOps report, which is a, a yearly report, which is fascinating, not only to see how it's grown um, through uh, the, the years in which, since they've been doing this report, but also in the ways that it's morphing. But they went into detail about how they did their research. But as they went through this research, they found that four things um, correlated to high-performing organizations. And it didn't matter what else uh, you, you had or measured or, or improved, if you could measure these four metrics and you did well on these four metrics, that was a very high correlation with a high-performing organization. And they were around um, very app-centric uh, um, uh, metrics around lead time um, for getting uh, from the development cycle 
you know, start to finish, deployment frequency, how long, how often you were actually deploying code into production, um, mean time to restore, you know, um, restoring after after a, a problem or an outage, um, and then change fail percentage. How often are you making a change and it's failing and you're having to roll back? Uh, like I said, very, very application focused um, uh, metrics, but really uh, high correlation with you know, high performing orgs. And so as they went a bit deeper into that, it, there was things like infrastructure as code that were behind that, the more of your application stack that is stored in a Git repository um, and is managed as code and those kinds of things, uh, you know, uh, plays into to some of this as well. Um, and so for application teams, pure DevOps teams that manage an app actual application, because, you know, a lot of people say there's no DevOps team, there's an application team that has DevOps, follows DevOps principles. Um, there's, there's, there's those, which there's lots and lots of things written about already. And then there's teams that are adopting DevOps um, principles and best practices that are maybe more traditional infrastructure based teams mm -hmm. like platform ops and some of those other teams. Uh, and so that's more the kind of thing that I write about because I think there's a lot less information out there um, for those teams uh, that, are, that are trying to take on some of those principles, but aren't necessarily, don't necessarily own the application or aren't necessarily responsible for an application in enterprises, you know? Um, so there's, there's a, a huge range of types of teams that are benefiting from DevOps and how they're implementing it in their own environments. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense to me. Because when I think about DevOps and concepts like Agile, to me, it's mm -hmm. around velocity, you know, it's an ability to produce code, but that's useless unless you're also producing quality. And so when right. you think about those metrics, they kind of, you can see that that's at the heart of them, right? It's like you, you have to have the ability to deliver quickly, but you actually have, have to have quality code that doesn't break down and doesn't, you know, if, if there is an issue, it could be easily resolved and those sort of goes to all your core processes. So I, I think those right. make sense. And, and what about all of our enterprise customers and teams that use purely off the shelf software that aren't actually involved in the development cycle mm -hmm. of the software but um, are involved in the operational side the deployment and the operational side and and nicole's book also talked to that that across all of their studies um it didn't matter what the underlying infrastructure was or whether it was out of the box software or in-house developed software um but uh if they were doing well on some of these key metrics um then they had this high performing org so it's not limited just to teams that are writing the software and implementing the software themselves, um, all teams, you know, can benefit from some of these principles, which I thought was really, um, really fascinating. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because you, you, in the world of DevOps and Kubernetes and modern apps and microservices and everything, everybody tends to focus completely on building your own applications. And if you really look at it, an enterprise that has, you know, some of the big enterprises have two, three thousand applications. You know, half or a three quarters of those are not built in house. They're but right. you're just operationally deploying them and managing them. And then how do you manage all that holistically so that you don't just don't have pockets of DevOps that are for developers and then the rest of IT doing hybrid cloud environments and, and having the sep separation, bringing those mm -hmm. back together requires kind of both of those managed together. Yes, yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, you want to improve those processes too, right? You don't want to be excluded from this mo from this movement or this culture because you are buying off the shelf software. And the good news is that you don't have to be, you can, these things can apply. Yeah, I think, um, 
that's great points from both of you that the sort of and kind of like if you think about even applications that people build in the cloud, almost nobody builds an entire application from scratch anymore, right? You take right, a bunch of cloud right. services, you integrate them, you write some custom code yourself, and you're, whether it was sort of the same model, right? Which is whether it was COTS, you know, coming off the shelf or, you know, as a cloud service, it winds up being someone else's software in terms of they wrote it. But you mm -hmm. took it, you took ownership for it and had to integrate it and make it all work together. Yeah, I kind of look at this and go like, careful what you ask for, right? Because yeah. I feel like the, the DevOps, you know, the, the, the developers that were moving faster than IT and buying cloud services and then, you know, trying to manage all that through DevOps, like some of this became very successful, right? They actually right. became so successful that all of a sudden you start owning more and more of the operational part right. of it. Mm -hmm. And I think they, I think they started looking at this going, yeah, but that's great, but I don't know if we want to own. So there, therefore, you do need to bring IT along and and have them support that because the reality is it was fun for a little while, but mm -hmm. but because you became successful, you actually started becoming ops. And I don't think any developer right. really wants to be ops. And, right. and it's just like it became something that was done a hundred times versus this is the first or second or now it's like being it's you're on the thousandth version. You know, yeah, that's right. Like, I don't really want to manage this anymore. <laughs> well, and you have to have a path to take your existing um, uh, workforce and teams and help them evolve and grow to meet the demands of the new world. So, you know, you're not going to go out if you're a if you're a top five bank. Uh, and you're looking to do more DevOps, you know, in your environment, you're not going to go out and just hire a whole bunch of new people to come in and do that for you. You have to find, you have to meet your teams where they are and help them find a path to the way that you want them to operate in the future. And, and also they have to be able to drive that themselves. There has to be some grassroots in there too. Um, and so, you know, our organization, I remember we're talking to one of our leaders early on and, um, he kind of had an anecdote that resonated with me around he had typical sysadmins but said, look, I don't expect you to turn into developers overnight, but I do expect you to start automating things. So, um, it, you know, if you have to do it more than once, automate it. You can start out with scripts, but, but you know, we, we expect you to continue to grow um, into this role. And I think that that's, that's fair, you know. Um, bring people along, grow them into these new roles, give them the support and the training and um, and the the teams around them that they need to, to be able to evolve with with the practices and, and with the, you know, with the culture. Yeah. And not only that, but then the the interfaces are becoming critical for operations are being critical for the developers to be able to have some amount of interact interaction and control with so that you can spin up additional resources uh, or your app can spin up additional resources. So operations and, and IT people have to understand what interfaces they're providing to developers now so that it becomes one big application, right? And that the IT ops control is actually integrated into the application itself, which brings them all together. Yeah, that's a very good point. Uh, one of the other posts that I have out there is around this concept of a provider of IT services and a consumer of IT or cloud services. Um, and, you know, one of the things that we believe that, that um, we have a unique perspective on 
based on you know our history with enterprise software is uh, both side both sides of that so knowing the um, capabilities that uh, a devops team is going to be looking for but also understanding what's important to the tr more traditional platform teams uh, like security high availability um, those kinds of things so even if you are not going to be moving into a DevOps team yourself, or even if you're not going to be taking on any DevOps practices or be involved in an application lifecycle as a sysadmin or a, a traditional IT ops person, your consumers, your DevOps teams, your lines of businesses, your developers are going to be demanding from you the same kind of capabilities that they can get from the hyperscalers. Because if they can go swipe a credit card and get immediate resources um, and you know a, a VM with the OS installed and all this software that they need to be able to do their job, and you aren't able to provide them with similar service, then that's what they're going to do. Um, and that becomes a very tactical use of cloud by certain teams. And that's what leads to like these spiraling costs and the CIO getting mad because, you know, spend is out the window uh, or, you know, off the charts. Um, so DevOps is really important to everybody in the IT organization, even if you're not right at the heart of it and, uh, and part of that, right at the heart of that application lifecycle, it's still extremely relevant. Hey, Mandy, maybe we can um, shift gears a bit and talk because um, you, you've talked about DevOps, you know, it's it's basically for everyone now, right? I mean, it's, you know, mm -hmm. anybody that's involved in, in operation, anyone involved in application development, it means different things to different people, but maybe we can talk a little bit um, about uh, cloud management, how it relates and, uh, you know, very popular for folks to use the uh, DevOps infinity model to talk about all mm -hmm. kinds of things in the DevOps tool chain. Maybe we can uh, sort of focus on some of those areas and talk, just, you know, give, give some examples of like how the various technologies and, you know, VMware cloud management relates to some of the things that are part of the DevOps uh, lifecycle. Yeah, so the DevOps um, uh, lifecycle or the DevOps loop that we're talking about kind of has, you know, if you can picture it in your in your mind, it has the blue half or the you know the common um, image that people look at, the development half, which is uh, plan, code, build, and test, kind of in blue on on one side and then release, deploy, operate, and monitor on the other side. And that maps into, you know, the life cycle of the application and it's iterative and it's a continuous loop. Um, and so a lot of organizations will map their tools that they use to the DevOps tool chain. Um, and so for some applications, uh, it will be, you know, application developer specific tooling. Um, but when you look at cloud management and some of the connections that we've made there, um, there's, there's kind of two sides to it. So for cloud management, and be realized specifically that our capabilities in the in our solutions uh, like in, in be realized automation for example that directly support that DevOps, all the phases of the, that DevOps loop. So we have infrastructure as code um, to be able to uh, programmatically deploy the infrastructure resources that are, um, are required for the application. We have um, a, a pipelining uh, capability for automated deployment um, and uh, con you know continuous integration of um, of you know the application as you develop it, and then we have monitoring components, and we have um, uh, you know uh, version control integration, and some of those things. So there's kind of two sides to it. There's the capabilities in the cloud management solutions that support the DevOps lifecycle for an application, 
But even more importantly, for our more traditional um, sysadmin, IT ops uh, customers um, and users, there's the concept of using some of these DevOps best practices to manage infrastructure. And so at VMware, we call that DevOps for infrastructure. Um, you know, uh, the, the, um, uh, the hint is in the name. And so we will take some of those best practices and say, okay, do you want to manage your VM template deployment or your OS um, template uh, um, deployment in the same way that you would an application, i.e. you make an update to it, you build the template in an automated fashion, you do a test deployment. Um, if everything tests out through your gated test that you've configured in the pipeline, then um, there's either it automatically is um, released to production or there's an, uh, an approval step where somebody can actually manually go in and approve to move to production. Um, and so, um, so we're starting to see much, much more uh, of these DevOps best practices actually being used for the management of infrastructure components. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. It sort of um, allows it allows you then to integrate whatever you're doing into the larger DevOps picture, right? It's like uh, so. It's like you know, using the same practices. Everything's as mm -hmm. code. So and then um, it supports those objectives of velocity and quality kind of simultaneously, right? So you right. can sort of match, you know, that infrastructure component to the same speed of everything else that's happening at the app layer, right? That that you're yeah. The so instead of it becoming instead of it being kind of a, an application lifecycle loop, it becomes a service lifecycle loop, right? Mm -hmm. If your service is VMs or networking components, you know, you you treat it in the same way. Um, and so uh, yeah, it's it is an exciting time in in technology with all of these changes. And the, you know, we've done things in the same way for decades and decades, and now we're um, really starting to through you know virtualization and automation, of course, is the is at the base of all of this. This is what's made all of this possible. Um, but um, with virtualization and and automation, we're we're able to do some really amazing things um, in a space that maybe had stagnated, I think, for a while in mm -hmm. in, uh, in infrastructure. And it's sort of um, you know, cloud was like a forcing function, right? It's forcing everything. You know, sort of uh, sort of created a, a bit of separation between IT and um, development for a while. But now it's all coming back together and. Uh, and it's coming back in a way that is, you know, just, you know, very uh, noticeably better than what was there before. I yeah. Think. So I think. Oh yeah. Yeah, David it, and and Mandy, it's, it seems like also because cloud has infinite scalability of resource. I think in the old days, we were constrained by what IT had provisioned, mm -hmm. right? And if you wanted to expand services or have dynamic expansion, you had to kind of dynamically expand based on what was available deployed in racks in servers, right? Now mm -hmm. with cloud and dynamic, you know, the, the giant clouds providers, you can have your application acquire more resources in, in real time, right? And so that's actually created a whole nother area of programming because all of a sudden I am not constrained by what's actually deployed. I'm constrained only by what, it, you know, big cloud provider has infinite amount of resources. And so the dynamic nature of my application can really take advantage of this unlimited capacity scaling up and scaling down during you know times when I'm not using given functionality or load, et cetera. So it's kind of like by having hyperscaler cloud providers out there that we're, we're building apps for, we have this ability to dynamically control much better than we ever had before. 
Yeah, and uh, so the, the the hyperscalers, the cloud providers basically provided competition for your traditional IT organizations who really had a monopoly over their, um, their internal users. They were seen as a cost center, so we were always reducing the budget and they were always having to cut corners and, and yes. reprioritize yeah. things and um, not enough investment. And then the cloud providers came along and now there's competition. And so not only can, um, can the internal users go to the cloud providers um, but also the company started to realize you know through this digital transformation that we all talk about all the time right. that those differentiators today are coming through technology like you know it, yeah. it doesn't matter what business you're in those differentiators and that improved customer value and satisfaction is coming through technology um, and applications and software. And so, yeah, we started to invest in our internal IT uh, departments again. And um, it's way, way overdue in my mind. Yeah. It is, it is amazing to watch that role transition where um, it used to be a cost center, it was something that you want to minimize, to all of a sudden becoming a strategic uh, importance to the business or a part of the product, like whether it's iTunes or Netflix or the digital delivery of all services are now part of the service. You're no longer a cost center. You're part of the main core product that's being delivered to your customer. And all of a sudden, investments there pay dividends in increased revenue because it's part of your product. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I, I think uh, you know it was you know it was hard for IT in the beginning with the cloud, but I think it you know fundamentally did a lot of good for everyone because it, it really it forced also the business to think about IT in a different way because they they you know they were paying for it very you know explicitly, and so they they could start to think about the explicit cost whether it was on premise or not, right? And, you know, it's like you know right. it sort of you know gave it a value that. Uh, was never understood when it was simply a cost center. So I think, you know, long-term that's been a positive trend as well. Hey, um, hey man, this is great. Um, um, you know, any last thoughts on DevOps? But I do really want to finish off with, you know, just telling people about, um, you know, where they can learn more. You've got a ton of content, great content out there and maybe you could um, highlight it and, um, and then we could uh, go off from there. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as I mentioned, I have a blog out there and I know you'll probably link to it somehow. Um, uh, and so I have, I don't know, probably 15 to 20 posts at this point um, over the last couple of years. And the perspective that I came to when writing that blog was for me in my sysadmin shoes, you know, a, a Unix um, engineer or architect um, or a networking engineer or a, um, uh, you know, a Windows engineer that um, maybe knows PowerShell really well um, uh, to automate the onesie twosie tasks, but uh, really doesn't have that, that software development background and making DevOps accessible to them, like getting rid of some, you know, you know some of the, um, um, that making sure that the terminology is understood and that uh, making sure that folks start to understand that actually this is a movement that we need you in. We need your involvement in um, because we're improving things for across the board, not just for our applications and our um, uh, technology, but also for the people that work in technology by becoming more open and collaborative and um, better job satisfaction at the end of the day. Uh, so that's the position that I took when writing the blog post. Um, there's lots and lots of resources out there for the development side, um, but I wrote it for our traditional uh, VMware um, customers and helping them to evolve and take advantage of some of these great best practices that are coming out of the movement. Cool. 
Uh, I always ask people, um, sure. are you on Twitter? Uh, do you ever get around to tweeting? And I am Googling you now to see if I can happen to find this blog. Yes. So the blog is on VMware.com, cloud.vmware.com. Um, I see David, it. You know where, where that is. Right. Um, and I am on Twitter. I'm not really a huge social media um, person, but I am on Twitter and I will tweet occasionally um and so you can find me out there i i will tweet my blogs when i when i write them and actually as i move from this role into the next you know i've cl i've i've blogged a lot on the cloud operating model i've blogged a lot on devops and as i move into my new role in this emerging business team my focus is going to become DevSecOps, and i'm going to try and unpick that and see uh see where we can where we can take that and why that's going to be important to the next generation of uh of it organizations so i'm excited to to get some content released there too. Yeah, if you go, if you just Google VMware Mandy Storbakken, uh, B A S T O R B A K K E N, who are just listening on a podcast, um, you can you can see her. She's on the cloud uh, blog site, uh, cloud.vmware.com. She shows up as the first major topic out past the ad block. Go check her out. All her blog articles are listed there. And uh, Mandy, it looks like you've gotten a haircut since I've seen you on the cloud blog because your hair is <laughs> definitely longer. Uh, yes. Yeah. If you I got your, say, you got your COVID, you got your, co mm -hmm. got your COVID, COVID haircut. Yes. COVID's I was on haircut. another call <laughs> this morning and they said, you had your haircut. There's quite a difference. And I said, well, since COVID, I just get it cut every six months. And so I said, cut it to the same length it was six months ago, because I'm not going to be back for six months. So this is not a style thing. This is a, uh, I don't ever get my haircut anymore since COVID. <laughs> Fantastic. I thought it was like COVID's over. I'm going out. No, no, no. Well, Mandy, you've been fantastic. Uh, possibly we can have you back again because you're so much fun to uh, to interview and, and listen to. I think it's really neat that uh, one, you're a female and two, you're in uh, DevOps and in this topic. It's great to great to hear someone that's been some time at the conferences uh, because a lot of us in IT just hear about it, but we don't really get to speak to an expert very often. So great to have you uh, come talk to us. Right. And I'm not necessarily an expert, but what I will say is go, don't be intimidated. Don't be intimidated by new terminology or um, gatekeeping. Uh, go get, go get involved because all of yeah. us have something to contribute um, no matter where you are in your, in your, um, in your journey. So, uh, so, so get involved. Don't be intimidated. Yeah. One thing I'll say about DevOps too. I mean, I kind of like when I first started to, get involved with it and look at it it's like it is intimidating it just sounds so intimidating but right. uh, you know when you when you get the more you get into it the more it's just like kind of like common sense and the way things always should have been mm -hmm. <laughs> you know right. it's like you sort of like realize yeah this makes a ton of sense you know everything's connected right because that's how the applications are they are they are connected you know all the the life cycles connected it's not distinct phases with you know so you just um hand things over to somebody else. It sort of gets at sort of the core of how people have to do things uh, to be successful. So I, I love the DevOps movement. Yeah, and if you're following um, people on Twitter that are, gate, you know, seem to be gatekeeping or are not welcoming or make you feel like you're asking stupid questions, then you're following the wrong people because there's mm -hmm. many more people out there that are happy to give everybody a hand up um, and improve um, working in technology for, for all of us. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, Manny, thank you so much. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Glad to, glad to be back. All right.